I read an interesting article recently about the power of uh, the human touch. As you probably know, studies have shown that infants, especially newborns, um, it has a a devastating effect on them if they are deprived of human touch early on. This is true even uh, as we grow as adults. God created us for, for, uh, for human touch. We we don't. We like to have hugs or handshakes, a, a slap on the back, an attaboy, an girl, a fist bump. We all need human touch. Well, today our sermon series, we're continuing it called Life, Living in Faith Every Day. And what we've been doing is we're looking at stories of faith in the scriptures. Uh, stories like Peter walking on the water to Jesus. The story of Esther, the, the right person at the right time for God's purposes to save her people. The story of Gideon with a small band of 300 men sent to uh, deliver them from thousands of enemy soldiers. Uh, last week we looked at the story of the Canaanite woman, a woman from a part of, um, of the country that the Jewish people would have, would have hated, would have despised. And yet Jesus says about her, uh, in all of Israel I've not found such great faith. Well, today we're looking at a story which involves touch. Uh, there are two touches. And it also involves a whole lot of faith. The the main characters of of the story, of course, are Jesus, uh, Jairus, and there are two females, a woman of, we don't have her name or her age, and a 12-year-old girl. Now, the girl is 12 years old, and she has a life-threatening fever. The other woman is older, and she has a 12-year-old disease. And in both these cases, as you've seen, Jesus is touched by them or touches. Both these cases, the touches are forbidden. The law of the Moses clearly states that if a woman or excuse me, that if a person touches a red tent woman, I'll explain what a red tent woman is in a few minutes. But if uh, if the if a person touched a red tent woman or a dead body, both of those things would cause the person to become unclean or impure. They'd have to go through some ceremonial cleansing and things like that before they could integrate back into society. But as we see in this Gospels and in this story, especially when the power of Jesus Christ is involved and he touches an unclean thing or an impure thing, interacts with that. Those things are made clean. They're they're cleansed and they're made pure. For example, so far in the Gospel of Mark, uh, up to this point, Jesus has touched a leper. The leper is cleaned. He's made whole. Jesus goes into cemetery surrounded by pigs. Both things would make a Jewish man unclean. Jesus steps into that situation and he frees a crazed man from demons. What we see from this and what we'll see in the story is that Jesus is not made impure by impure things. He's not corrupted by unclean things. He's not influenced by unclean things. Rather, he reverses those things and brings healing, wholeness, life Impurity to unclean people and to an unclean world that desperately needs cleansing and wholeness. So these two women, they are forever bound together in the scriptures. For example, in the parallel accounts of the story in both Matthew 9 and Luke 8, these stories are back to back. They're around each other. It makes sense, of course, because they happen uh, one after the other on a single day in Jesus' life and ministry. The scene is this. Earlier in Mark 4, we see Jesus calming the storm. He's crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and they get to the other side. They disembark, and there's a huge crowd waiting for them. They've heard about Jesus' miracles, how he cleansed the leper, how he healed a paralytic man, how he restored a man's withered hand, and so on and so forth. And and people with all sorts of ailments, or families of friends who are bringing these people, ailments, diseases, 
struggles and concerns. They're bringing them all to Jesus, hoping that he will do the same thing that he did for these other people. So there's this great crowd gathered around him with all these huge expectations of him. And then along comes one of the synagogue rulers, a man named Jairus, and he's got a request. His daughter, his 12-year-old daughter is dying. He says, is there anything you can do? Can you come and lay your hands on her so she'll get well and not die? Please, Jesus, please come. Now, if there's anything that can rip out a, a parent's heart, it's seeing one of his children or her children suffering. Jairus is is counting on Jesus. He's putting his faith in Jesus, that Jesus will be compassionate, that he'll respond and his faith is justified in Jesus because Jesus says, yes, I'll come and begin to walk to Jairus' house. Now, a little bit about Jairus. He, as it said, is one of the leaders of the synagogue. It means he's a big deal in town. He's an influencer, a mover and shaker. People know who he is, which means his daughter is also a big deal. People know who she is. It'd be like being the daughter of a, a mayor or maybe a senator or on a much larger scale, the daughter of, of the president. And she's 12 years old. She's sick, which is 12 years old, be, you know, sixth or seventh grade. But in the day of Jesus, in that society, a 12 year old would be equivalent to maybe being 17 or 20 years old in our culture, because in a few years she would be able to get married. She begin having a family and children. And so it was much different. Uh, a 12 year old would be much different, viewed much differently than the 12 year old would in our world today. Now, think about this. If, imagine if one of the president's daughters, for example, developed a life threatening disease. What do you think he would do? I'm sure he'd go to the ends of the earth to find the best doctor possible to save her. And if you were the doctor that the president approached and was asked to come and help his daughter, how would you react? Well, if it were me, I would probably reschedule all my appointments and I would get there to, to D.C., hopefully on Air Force One, kind of check that off the bucket list, you know. Well, that's on a smaller scale. That's kind of what's going on here in verses 21 through 24. Jairus is a VIP, and yet he's so worried about his daughter. He throws his dignity to the wind. He, he pushes through the crowd. He falls before Jesus publicly, and he begs Jesus, please come and heal my daughter. And Jesus justifies Jairus' faith, and Jesus says yes, and they begin to walk to the house. And then something happens that that stops the journey as jesus is walking with jairus somebody in the crowd reaches out and touches his outer garment it's the other woman the one with the flow of blood she's had this hemorrhage for 12 years and it's pretty clear from the original language and from the context that the bleeding is is uterine in nature and the old testament law stated that when a woman is in her menstrual cycle she is unclean And an unclean person must remove herself from the population and live in isolation until she becomes clean again. She would go and live in a a red tent while she waited for her cycle to pass. And then she would do a purification ceremony and be good to go until the next month. Now, imagine if you were a Jewish woman living in those days and your cycle never stopped for 12 years. No one had touched her. No one had hugged her. No one had associated with her for 12 years. She was untouchable. I mean, I wonder today who would be the untouchables in in our society? Who has been pushed so far to the margins that they are considered untouchable? Or however you would answer that question, I know this, is that Jesus would not be afraid to touch them, to associate with them, to bring his presence and his healing, his touch to them. 
Anyhow, this woman, this has been going on for 12 years with no physical touch. She had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor for all these years, spent lots of money, but still no cure. Imagine how frustrating, how hopeless she must have felt. Anybody here who has suffered from a chronic medical condition, whatever it might be, you can identify with her, can't you? You can empathize. So this woman, she hears that Jesus is coming through town and she knows that Jesus is her best, last, and only hope for healing. She also knows that she cannot be seen in public. She cannot associate with people. So she no doubt would have dis, you know, disguised herself, covered her face, and count on the, the, the big crowds that she wouldn't be noticed. She pushes through the crowd, and she has this faith that if she simply touches Jesus' clothes, just the outside edge of the garments, just for a moment, that she will be healed. She doesn't dare to dream of a private audience with Jesus. She gets near enough, she touches his garment, and Scripture says she was healed on the spot. In verse 30, it says Jesus notices this. He notices that something, some power, healing power, goes out of him. And he turns to the crowd and says, who touched my garments? The disciples are kind of caught off guard by this. Like, what do you mean? I mean, everybody's pressing up against you and and, and bumping into you and touching you. How can you ask who touched your garments? Everybody around you has touched your garments. Jesus asked the question. The woman is scared. She's frightened. She knows that she'll be outed in a sense. And she comes forward and she kneels at Jesus' feet and she says, it was me. I'm the one who touched you. And Jesus looks down at her. He sees the desperation and the loneliness and the, and the longing. And he sees the courage it took for her to take this step. He sees the faith that she has exhibited. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well, has healed you, has saved you. She trusted in Jesus to meet her deepest and most pressing need and personal need. Now, when we say this, we need to be clear. It's not any old faith that has healed her or saved her. It's not some generic faith, uh, having faith in whatever you want to have faith in. It's certainly not putting faith in herself in the way she's living her life. That will never work. The scripture is very clear that we all are sinners and all fall short of God's standards and glory. But the faith that saves, the faith that makes a person whole is specifically faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of humankind. No other faith can save us, only faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not because it is our faith as though our act of believing is some meritorious work in itself. Faith has value by virtue of its object. And this object, the one in whom our faith is to be placed, is Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves. So when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, your faith has saved you, this is nothing other than to say it is Christ himself who saved her. Now, how did he save her? By the power of blood. Not the blood that's been flowing for her for 12 years. That was her problem. Instead, the answer to her problems and to all of our problems is the flow of blood that comes from Christ. That is what saves us, what he's done for us on the cross. It's what healed the woman, what made her whole, and it will heal us and make us whole too. 
the flow of blood coming from his bloodied back, his thorn-crowned head, his spear-pierced side, from the nail wounds in his hands and his feet, that's the flow of blood that will save us. The prophet Isaiah said, by, the, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And for you and me and the woman in this story and for all people of this world, we are all sinners in need of cleansing in order to stand before God whole and clean, forgiven and at peace. Only the blood of Christ can provide this cleansing and healing and peace. So now we come to this other woman, this young woman, the woman who is dying, Jairus' daughter. And after the interaction with uh, this woman who's been bleeding, Jesus and Jairus head towards his house. But it's too late. They get a messenger that says, it's too late, she's died. Don't, don't bother the teacher. It's not worth his time to come. There's nothing else that he can do. But Jesus reassures Jairus and says, do not fear, only believe. There's that faith thing again. And so they get to the house and there's weeping and wailing and commotion. And, but Jesus says, the child's not dead, she's merely sleeping. Now, she has actually died. She's, she's dead. But Jesus says she's sleeping because sleep is something that you get up from. And this girl is about to get up. So Jesus shoots everybody out. He takes mother and father and three of his disciples, James, Peter, and John. And they go into the girl's room and it says he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she does, and she's all right. You see, just as the healing of the woman who had bled for 12 years has something to say to us about faith and about saving faith, so too does the story of this little girl who was raised from the dead have something to say to us about our faith in the end of our lives. Because Jesus Christ will speak this word to all his people, Talitha Kum. Now, you might not be a little girl. Maybe you're a middle-aged man or a mature woman or a teenage boy or a senior citizen. But Jesus Christ will speak to all of his people one day and tell us to get up. And we'll arise. And Christ will take our dead bodies and make them new. And we know this because Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. And all of us who have put our faith in Christ will share in the resurrection, which guarantees our own. You see, the, in this story and in our faith, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, they all go together. And they all have their nexus, their central connecting point in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is he who forgives our sins. It is he who will raise us from the dead. It is he who gives us eternal life. It is he who takes dead bodies, which were unclean before Jesus came. It's Jesus who takes dead bodies and through the resurrection of his own dead body. Jesus takes the unclean and makes it clean and gives us life everlasting. It's Jesus himself who takes the flow of blood and on the cross sheds his own blood so that all who have faith in him are cleansed, forgiven and made whole. And so Jesus says to us, do not fear, only believe. Have faith in me and me alone. Your forgiveness, your resurrection, your salvation, your eternal life, all these are ours by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in him and him alone.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's inspired by your Holy Spirit and given to us to guide and shape us, to help us to understand who you are, why you've created us, and most importantly, Lord, to understand who Jesus Christ is and to know the way of salvation. So, Father, uh, I pray that you would grow us in our faith, that we would have faith when we approach death, that we would have faith when loved ones or friends approach death and know that that faith in Jesus Christ means that death does not have the final word, that you will say to all your people one day, get up, arise. Lord, we ask as well that you grow us in our faith that we would understand very clearly that we are saved by Jesus Christ and him alone. That his death on the cross, his shed blood for us, covers our sins, cleanses us, makes us whole. Jesus takes the unclean, the unrighteous, the impure, people like us, and he gives to us his purity, his cleansing, his life, his righteousness. We thank you, Father, for the power of Jesus Christ, for his work on our behalf and in our lives. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.